This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. My name is Rich Bradbury, and as usual, I am joined by my good friends, Ali Johan and, of course, Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, fellas. Good evening. I've got a lump in my throat. Richard said I'm a good friend. You, you do this every week, right? You, you act like it's something new. He's going to be talking about my expat wages in a minute and how cars that used to belong to my country no longer belong to my country. But anyway, let's not revolve around that. Let's look at what we got on tonight's show. A show in three parts, as per usual. We're starting off with some news. Uh, will we be seeing electric taxis in KL soon? Ooh. The arrival of the Aston Martin DB707. BMW doing some stuff. EV charging during a heat wave. Then we've got a discussion about why buttons are better than touchscreens. Yes, they are. End of discussion. Uh, wrapping up with another discussion. Is there really, finally, possibly going to be a lemon law here in Malaysia? That's all coming up. Stay tuned. First up then, Ali, what have we got? Yes, news this week. So we just reported a couple of weeks back on the testing of electric buses in Langkawi. Now, mm-hmm. um, the parties involved are hoping that the trial process could help pave the way for electric charging infrastructures in the entire country. Now, this week, another piece of information on EV testing, this time right here in KL, at the recent International Sustainable Energy Summit at the KL Convention Centre, it was announced that TNB, Tanaga National Berhad, will be working with Mysuri Biz Technologies to provide electric taxis for testing under the moniker Taxiku. Mysuri are okay. an app development company based in Cyberjaya and they're going to be spearheading this testing. It's reported that they have about 1,000 electric taxis that are going to run in KL. You have to book it via the app called Taxiku. One of the other proposals about which car um, that they are going to use as these taxis um, is an MG SUV car, uh, which is the electric MG ZS. This car has up to 440 kilometers drive range. Well, I was surprised when I read this uh, online because MG has already been testing the ZS here through their local distributor. Uh, at that point, it was a, a company called Under Bajaya Group. And they were saying that they were testing it and they're hoping to launch it very soon and everything else. This was at the start of COVID. And, you know, after that, everything was quiet. And then when the free tax opened up in Malaysia for, for electric cars, we thought they'll be launching this car quickly because why the price will be very attractive Mm, uh, because tax-free and everything else but nothing happened all quiet and then everybody else was you know launching electric cars and selling very well and you know now the waiting list is six months seven months nine months whatever but suddenly when you hear this you think to yourself okay maybe this company together at tnb and it's it's good that they're working with tnb because you need the juice supplier you know know? (laughs) Yeah, so they need TNB to work with that because that, that means that they've got the charging infrastructure uh, uh, in, in progress and also they will make sure that these batteries will be running perfectly well for these vehicles. So I think the whole idea is good. The whole concept is good. You know, electric taxis and then you know, if they're going to use it in the airport and five-star hotels and everything like that, mm-hmm. uh, it just means that, you know, visitors coming to the country say, oh, you're using electric, good, you're moving the right direction and everything else. Was that your but, expert voice then? Yes, <laughs> but... But, and this is the big but, cost. 
Mm. Production can't go as fast as they want because of the you know logistic costs and then also because lithium you know to make the batteries are not very easy. But with yeah. this vehicle, what I'm worried is the cost of the vehicle because even as a tax-free vehicle, I think it's going to cost about two hundred thousand ringgit or or thereabout. They're a good now, size, though. I mean, they are like taxi-appropriate size, aren't they? Yes, they are right size. But Richard, two hundred thousand ringgit. How much would you be charging the taxi driver rental every day? That's one thing. Right, okay. Right. Yeah. Number two, I don't think any taxi driver will be able to buy this vehicle outright. So probably mm-hmm. they'll have a leasing program or a daily rate or something like that. It's not going to be cheap because it's a two hundred thousand dollar vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving an estimate on on the price because you know that's what it costs in Thailand. Now, if you take away you know, maintenance costs and everything else and, you know, subsidies or whatever, you're still looking at a very costly taxi. Now, currently, the taxis that are being used or even the ride-sharing vehicles that are being used are all quite cheap and cheerful. Mm. Unless you go into premium taxis. Now, premium taxis are also about 120, 130, 140. If you go to super premium in the airport, you do have the German brands. But, you know, that's a whole different price range and that's not very common. Now, my worry is... Not my worry. My my question is, are they removing the super premium taxis from the market and only having this or Mm -hmm. will they be working side by side? That is what I'm worried because if you're going to have an electric taxi like this, you've got to charge super premium price. Right. Hmm. Bunch of questions that it raises though. I mean, I I think for for me, the reason I take taxis or ride-sharing vehicles is is because they're cheap, um, generally speaking. But with something like you say that is going to be two hundred thousand ringgit, um, that cost is then going to be pushed down to the customer, isn't it? Right. You know, right. which which means that the price is going to be pushed up. So, who in their right mind would get into one of these just because they're electric? Well, it could be company accounts. I mean, even the super premium taxis in the airport. I mean, I won't take it. Even you, as an expert Same. in your salary, no. you no. won't take it. But big companies will pay for it. You know. Mm, mm. Now the next question is. This car has got a driving range of about 400 kilometers, which is very good. But if you're going up and down from the airport, like I know some taxi drivers who do eight trips a day to make yeah. good money, right? Yeah. Eight trips is almost 600 kilometers. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you're probably going to get, what, maybe five, maybe six out of this before you have to charge it? Yes. And then, you know, charging time is not going to be very fast. Even if they have DC fast chargers, you're looking at 1,000 taxis needing needed to be charged at some point or another. They can't go home and charge. They've got to go to a charging station. So the charging station will either be, I think, at the airport or at some prime locations in the city. Uh-huh. But you have 1,000 mm. taxis running around. Yeah, the spec is actually quite impressive. With this MG ZS, it can charge above 80% in just about one hour, a fast mm. charge. Assuming right. that the charging bay is available. I, I love the idea of this. Um, I, I just I need to know more about the economics of it. You know. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. So let's see what happens. You know. Yeah. Good luck if they're really going to go ahead with this. Mm. What else have we got then? On to a local launch. Um, Aston Martin just unveiled their latest SUV to date, the DB Seven O Seven, and it is now open for booking with a price that touches the one million ringgit mark. Okay. So, you know. The previous DBX7 was about 200,000 cheaper. So a lot of people are saying, hey, why 200,000 ringgit more? And why just after two years? Now, with every new vehicle that comes into the market, you know, it doesn't matter who, who or where it is or whatever. For Aston Martin, this was their first SUV. So being their first SUV, of course, you know, they tried to make it perfect. But 
Nothing is perfect the first time around. So I think maybe they got it maybe 95% there, 96%. I've driven it. It's very nice. It's quick. It's beautifully put together. It's true English <laughs> craftsmanship, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, hand-built and everything else. But they knew that was there were sharp... A few shortcomings, you know, customers came back with some feedback. So now they've got it improved. Improved in a few little ways, but enough to to question the additional 200,000 ringgit before tax price. Mm. Funnily enough, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed the other day and I saw somebody who just sold one of these to a client. Hmm. It looks really nice. It does look really nice. It's a sports car that's that's race. That's basically it, you know? Mm. I mean, Aston Martins build sports cars. They don't build... I mean, they have the saloon, the rapid and all, but they're not a saloon company. They're a pure sports car company. It's, it's almost like listening to Porsche many years ago when they were just building sports cars. Then they decided to build, hey, let's build an SUV, you know? Interesting to see what happens with this, huh? I think it'll do very well. Of course, you know, a lot of people say, hey, you know, why do they give this, this price before tax? Why do they, you know, they confuse us? Now, the reason why they give a price before tax is because most people who walk into this showroom will start ticking on the option list. So like this vehicle, the one that was pictured in this, in this uh, press release, which we were there for the, for the launch, is before tax 1.5 million. It's actually a customer's car. So he already got a new car, 1.1 million, but he decided to tick some options on it. So it raised to 1.5 million. So this is what a lot of them do. So after 1.5 million, then you have to pay the tax on it. So mm. it comes up to maybe 4 million ringgit. But, you know, in this in this segment, 4 million ringgit is like you and me going and buying a Beza for 40,000, you know? <laughs> I, I'd buy one if I had the money, obviously. Obviously, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Not on my... Uh... My salary, uh, not next, on your measly what, salary. Not yeah. on my measly salary. So I, I can't even say it, you know, without you know my, my jaw locking. Uh, what have we got next, Ali? Okay, um, time for some global news. So now, many major automotive brands have already made the commitment to electrify their portfolio, as we know, either partially or fully. And one of the front runners of this move is the BMW Group. They've committed to about fifty percent of electrification by the year 2030. Now, they've also decided to attack the problem of petrol from a few other angles. And one of the other angles is hydrogen power. So uh, BMW have been using hydrogen power for a while in their engines. And this time, they've just announced they're working hand-in-hand with Toyota on hydrogen-fueled cell vehicles for the upcoming BMW iX5 hydrogen. See, this this is great news because why? Actually, Toyota has been playing with hydrogen for many years, Okay. They've been trying to develop the technology, make it easier, make it safer, make it more inviting. And then, of course, you know, there's a lot of issues with fueling up with hydrogen, you know, fuel stations, the safety aspects and all that. But Toyota has been, you know, keeping at it. And, you know, I, I, I do believe, if you, if you remember, uh, Richard, they sold a lot of the Mirai hydrogen cars in London. Yeah, I remember. You know? yeah. And a lot of them are still running around perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. right? But this is just my point of view. While... Japan was was looking at you know let's let's get better fuel efficiency let's work on the combustion engine you know make it better let's do hybrid let's do mild hybrids and then of course Toyota went into hydrogen technology Europe wanted plug-in hybrid they just said mm. no let's do plug-in hybrid plug-in hybrid turned out to be too expensive a little bit not reliable and you know the battery costs started giving issues so they suddenly said oh let's go all electric you know Mm. And let's let's bang on the table and say everybody has to go all electric. So of course, US followed suit, Europe followed suit. But 
But, you know, Toyota just kept at it, kept at it. And if you think about it, the Japanese companies are late to the full electrification game, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why is because they are not, I mean, they're great engineers. So they must be thinking, is this totally acceptable in some parts of the world? So I'm going to give you a little bit of, ex- uh, of, a, of, a, of a debate here that some people will be having after I, I speak. Um, now, with the energy prices going up in Europe, okay, ridiculously high, how much will it cost to charge up your electric car compared to the price of fuel? That's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. On top of that, people are already starting to say, in, in the UK especially, that it's becoming more difficult to charge because there's not enough charging points, even though they have a mature charging network, right? Mm. Number three, people are already starting to complain. If you, you can go online and see this, that it's taking too long to charge to get a full charge and what do I do while I wait? Because I can't mm. charge at home. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so I'm, I'm, you know, last time, oh, you know, you can get your laptop, sit in the coffee shop. How much coffee can you drink? Yeah. How long can you wait in the coffee shop? The coffee shop owner so needs to turn around. He says, hey, you're sitting in my table for three hours waiting for your car to charge. I can sell another 10 coffees to 10 people waiting. You know, that kind of thing. So I think... He's got a thousand taxis waiting for him in the corner. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think this whole move by BMW, they've, they've, said, they've said, hey, and I think Toyota has, might have a solution here. Let's work with them. So BMW and Toyota are working together. Of course, they work on other projects together. You know, the Z4 and the Supra is a, co- a collaboration of both brands, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that they're going into a joint venture to make sure that they get the best solution out for the globe. I was looking at how much it would cost um, to fill a Mirai. And average cost of hydrogen fuel is around $16 US per kilogram. Right. Uh, Mirai holds an average of five kilos. Right. Uh, so around 80 US dollars to fill the tank in the US. Of course, that's, they'll have different tax prices compared Correct. to where we are. Right. And there's no subsidy on, on hydrogen. Right. right, as of yet. Yes. There's so many possibilities here, but I think... Electric car is not the only possibility that should be on the table because it's like before you had petrol, you had diesel, right? At one point, diesel was was the the darling of the industry. Everybody wanted a diesel car because it's so fuel efficient, it's so wonderful, it's so powerful. And then suddenly, cancel it, you know? Yeah, I mean the only problem is as we've just quantified, you know, hydrogen fuel, as we know, is far more efficient than you know petrol, right. but it is roughly four times as expensive. Yes, but you see, the vehicles are not expensive. That's right. You know, so, so again, it's like the pros and cons, isn't it? Yes, and then you know when you want to when you want to change all the components, there's no expensive lithium-ion battery, there's no expensive mining, there's no mm. expensive climate issue with mining. You know, mm. so you got to look at a few options, and then you know hydrogen, you know water comes out, you know, so you can drink it. You know, <laughs> it actually looks like the car is peeing when it drives. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Anyway, finally for this segment, what have we got? Yeah, so, I mean, I know it's been raining a lot in Kuala Lumpur, but actually, over in the US, there's a heat wave that's going on. And especially in California state, um, they've mm-hmm. been seeing really, really high temperatures of late. Most recently, reports have surfaced about the impacts of this heat wave on EV charging stations. Uh, Californians have been urged to not charge their electric vehicles during peak hours, which is between 4 to 9 p.m., to reduce the strain on the state's electrical grid as uh, there will be less solar energy during these hours. So now they have a 
slight problem with EV charging ports during heat waves. And we are in a similar position. We do have heat waves every year, not this time of the year, thankfully. We might face the same problems. Yes, that's why I put up this article. I mean, there, there were some comments on Facebook saying that, you know, this is nothing to do with us, it's US and all that. But I'm just trying to explain. See, California is so far ahead of us in terms of electrification, okay? They, they figured everything out. They got the charging stations. They got everyone buying these cars and all that. But they never figured out the weather, the climate, you know? Mm. And they said, yes, oh, there's cooling and, you know, blah, 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 and everything else. Yes, but you can't, you can't, you can't adjust the climate to suit your conditions. You know what I mean? Yeah. The problems of climate change, you're talking about everywhere, every country is going to have additional heat coming in. So Malaysia, mm. right now, okay, it's rainy season. It's raining every day and everything else. But I remember a few months ago, it was... It was very, very hot, okay? At that time, there were not many electric cars on the road. Now, you've got proposed, you know, electric buses coming in, already in. You've got this te- 1,000 taxis coming in. You've got increased sales of electric cars. Now, with all this coming in, you have to go and charge it. And then what if we have a massive heat wave and we say, hey, you cannot charge your cars. Please hold back. You can only charge from this time to this time. On top of that, will the batteries take our heat slash humidity included, you know? Interesting because I, I know there are parts of China as well that are going through a huge heat wave right now. Yes. And, and we know how much they've poured into EVs as well. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of information comes out of there. Yes. And when I did this article, I did further check on it. And also in Australia, because there's been a big push for EV in the last five, six months, just like Malaysia, mm. and the Chinese car brands are going very big there. The sales are just booming. Some people who live in you know certain hotter parts of Australia where the, the temperature goes to 48 and 50 and 52, they are saying they are having problems with their batteries. They are saying they're having problems with their cars. They are having problems with their charging network because heat is heat, you know? So you're actually cooking up a lot of heat when you're charging the vehicle. You go to anybody who's charging an EV, you go and touch the, the machine, the charging station, it's hot. It's mm. generating a lot of heat. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not an engineer. I think something should be done maybe put charging stations underground or maybe have it in air-conditioned malls which will generate more electricity and more heat because you have to air-condition the place you know things mm, like that mm, mm. all right okay we'll leave you with that folks to debate amongst yourselves we're going to take a short break and when we come back we'll be having an even longer discussion about why buttons are better than touchscreens or are they stick with us we'll be discussing that after these messages here on cruise control on bfm 89.9 FM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Cruise Control. I'm Rich Bradbury, and as usual, I'm with Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my and Ali Johan, my two friends, often putting, uh, you know, problem in, in Daniel's throat. He, anyway, um, so <laughs> discussion time then. Um, buttons versus touchscreens. Which is better? That age-old question, Daniel. You know, I know everybody's going towards flat screens and touch screens and, you know, digital screens and whatever screens lie, you know, and, and there's a reason for it. It just looks more attractive. It looks easier to use simply because we're all used to our hand phones. You know what I mean? When you get a person who's already playing with a smartphone, I mean, which is nearly 99% of the drivers out there, they walk into a new car showroom or a car showroom with new cars and they see, hey, touch screen again. They can adapt very easily, which is great. Familiarity. To sell the car. 
And there's nothing wrong with it. But here comes research from Europe, not from me, from Europe, proper research done by a Swedish car magazine. And they found out that touchscreens are not all that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think if I was doing research in Malaysia among my age group, and maybe slightly younger, I know I'm old, I know maybe slightly younger, maybe right down to Ali's age group, you know, a young man of his, his caliber, I think <laughs> there will be enough reason for them to say, hey, give me some buttons or so. Right. I, I want to hear from Ali on this. I am so old school that I really struggled with touchscreens. Um, I went into <laughs> a car this one. This is coming from a 25-year-old man. I know, right? <laughs> um, I find that, you know, experiences in different cars with um, regular buttons, they're much more intuitive. You don't have to look almost. You just have one glance at the center console and you know... And you which, can memorize it. Yeah, you know which is the aircon temperature button, you know which is your hazard lights, but... My parents bought a car with a touchscreen um, center console and much like a smartphone, it takes a bit of getting used to. But I find it really, really distracting while driving especially. It's something that it's like you have to change the way you drive. You have to set up everything on the touchscreen before you move. Correct. Right. And that right. might take some time, especially if you are about to leave a parking space and people waiting for you. You're never going to be able to set it up. But on the upside, the touchscreen and... CarPlay apps and all the things are so intuitive as well that they sometimes just hook you up and start playing whatever you last were, were mm. listening to before you left the car and stuff like that. So mm. we don't get that, I guess, memory uh, with these buttons. Um, you just have to turn it back on as you ignite your engine. So, mm. But I, I'm still very old school in that. I want tactile buttons because yes. simple as that. And yeah. also, you see, with, with, with touchscreens, I mean, um, in older cars, you know, when you get into the car for the first time, uh, of course, you know, you need some time to get used to it. Second time, third time. Like we, when we test drive cars with touchscreens, which is very often, especially recently with all the electric cars coming with very beautiful touchscreens, you need a few days to, to understand how to work them. But that's because we are test driving. So when I talk to owners, people who own the cars, of course, after some time, you know, they don't really need to look down. But on occasion, they do press the wrong thing because why? You have no feel. And if you're, if you're looking down, that means you're not looking up, you're not looking at the road ahead. So they do it when they have a traffic jam or they're sitting quiet in, in the parking lot or whatever. But to me, the biggest problem is if there's a problem with your touchscreen with one function, you cannot use the whole touchscreen. You get what I mean? Sometimes the whole car. Yes, Richard. So if you're with buttons, one button spoil, okay, I can mm. still use the rest. One knob spoil. Okay, I can still use the rest. I was watching a video the other day about, about some guy whose uh, Tesla had broken down. Um, obviously, with it being an electric vehicle, there's there's no neutral yes. technically, right? And so, to put it into neutral, you have to use the touchscreen, uh, which disengages a whole bunch of stuff. Right. And of course, without that touchscreen, you, you you can't put it in neutral, right? <laughs> you know, um, but I, I'm kind of w with the two of you on this. I I, I much prefer tactile buttons uh you know e even so much as the old radio buttons that you'd have to click clunk you know to change exactly. from one radio yeah, station it works to so another. well yeah exactly um with that said i do love the look of a good touchscreen you know it's so attractive right they they are definitely attractive i mean we were on holiday recently and we hired a, a vehicle wherever we, we were and it, it was all touchscreen and the cabin lit up like it was the starship enterprise and it was mm. fantastic um, 
But then wow, again, you rented it, an expensive car. No, 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 not expensive. <laughs> it was Japanese, you know, it was a Japanese joking, car. Yeah. Uh, but it it felt like we were been, you know, it, moths could have been following us everywhere because it mm. was just so bright and and lit up. Um, and I think part of the touchscreen um, th- that takes it away from me is that I like a dark interior when you're driving. Right. You know. Also, can I can I just can I just ask you when you when you when you rented this car? It took you some time to get used to the touchscreen, right? Of course, yeah. And okay, maybe three or four days, you were still not familiar with it. You still had That's to look right. down, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Mm. And even then, I think the, the only thing that we really used on it was the radio. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I'm sure I've, I've, um, I've heard a lot about the touchscreens on cars that go beyond a certain price range. They are much more um, adaptive um, and they dim down when you drive at night uh, and they have those kind of automatic oh. sensor type things. Yeah, And you right, only get that right. with cars, I don't know, Daniel, above 200,000? Actually, no. You even get it now in the lower price cars because why? It's it's a very simple function. You just have to you have to navigate into the screen to reduce the the glare or the lighting system. Right. Or yes, and you can also play around with what kind of lights you want, what kind of colors you want. You know. So if you're driving and you have a young person sitting next to you, you know, especially a teenager, they will have a field day playing with all this. You know. Yeah, and then you'll have to ask them at the end of the day how you can operate your car. Yes. <laughs> So all this is good, but again, I'm just worried about the after sales, the the reliability. Because why? Even on my smartphone, occasionally, my touchscreen doesn't mm. work. But with mm. with a car, it's sitting there. This you know the sun is beating down on it from the windscreen. I, I don't know whether it's going to last. And you know it's added expense. It's more chips in there. It, it's yes. more electricity in there. It's all yes. of these things that. You know, in an ideal world, you'd be rolling back and using, you know, traditional materials. You're using metal, for example, which obviously right. is more expensive, but yeah. looks far better as yeah. a button. Here's the thing, though. Time is moving forward. Technology is going to go up. I don't see car companies sticking to buttons, though. Do you think at the future, uh, no, 30 years from no, now, it's no. all going to be touchscreen? Yeah, Whether I like certainly. it or not, it's going to be touchscreen. So it doesn't matter. I can tell you in the next three years... Even the most lowest price car you buy will have a complete touchscreen. And here's the funny thing: you see, like now with with expensive cars, you have you have uh, you know multifunction steering wheels huh, mm. that are that are also uh, predictive touch. You know, you just slide over them with your thumb, and then they'll function. Now I find it a little bit irritating because if I'm driving a little bit excited, I might grip the steering a little bit harder. You know, and then mm. accidentally I change the radio station, or I switch off the radio, or or I do something, you know, I change the, the, the screen information. Now, if that filters down to lower price cars, I think that's going to be another added issue with drivers who are, you know, like, like that grip the steering too hard, you know? Mm. Because there's, you just there's need too much. light to touch, Daniel. Yeah, but you know, I'm an old man. <laughs> but again, you know, these are all things that I, I can't evolve. Maybe the younger generation will evolve, you know? All right. Let us know what you think, folks. Get us via WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. We're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, another discussion. Are we finally getting a lemon law here in Malaysia? Stick around and you'll find out. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Eighty-nine point nine, the business station. Welcome back to the third and 
final portion of Cruise Control here on BFM. I'm Rich Bradbury uh, with Daniel Fernandez uh, from DSF.my and Ali Johan from uh, BFM 89.9. Finally, then, um, this has been backwards and forwards for a while. We spoke about it a few times here on the show, Daniel. Yes, I think yes. twice already that I can right. recall. Um, the Lemon Law. Yeah. I, I brought it up about maybe three years ago when, you know, I started getting a lot of complaints about cars that are just, you know, that's the word like lemon. And you know what, what we mean by lemon is it's just a faulty vehicle from start, you know? Mm, mm. And uh, these car brands were not looking after the customers. They said, no, once once you bought, you bought. Lah. You know, just there's a five-year warranty, so just keep coming back. But you know, it's not a question of just coming back. You know, it's that hassle, you know, because when when you know that a car is just, just wrong, because why? It comes from a production line. This is mm. normal. You, mm. You'll always have one or two vehicles that, you know, out of a thousand, there'll be one or two who just didn't come out quite well, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But car companies in Malaysia were enjoying this no existence of lemon law in Malaysia. And then Singapore put up the lemon law, okay? So when Singapore put up a lemon law, we talked about it again. And this time, there were a lot of people very interested because why? As cars got more complicated, as cars got more technically inclined, things were going wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. So when things go wrong, what do you do? You go back to the manufacturer, you make noise, you bang the table, you say, no, this car is just faulty. I've, I've come back already nine times in the last six months and it's still not fixed. But they say, sorry, the warranty is still active. We will keep fixing your car as long as it takes, but we are not taking it back and we're not paying you back for it, right? And this is why people get upset in Malaysia. But it's been a great time for the legal department, <laughs> the legal fraternity, because they make a lot of money, you know, going to court and suing and suing and suing and again, still getting nothing back. Because why? The law doesn't favor. Yes, you can go to tribunal, you can make some noise, you might get a small fee, but sometimes you just don't want the car anymore. Because why? The car is just not working. Now, I'll give you an example of how bad a car can be. I, I knew someone who bought a premium German car, premium German car, I won't mention the name. The car was in the workshop in the first year, seven months out of 12 months. And this is because he had the service, you know, all the, the service, every time you go in, you get the service booklet, I mean the service sheet, right? Mm. So the car is in there from this day to this day, this day to this day, this day. The car just kept going back. And I thought maybe this guy might be a little bit peculiar, maybe he's just not a happy customer. But when I checked, that car actually had a lot of issues. Even the people at the workshop said, well, you don't know, boss, this car <laughs> really got a problem. But as long as there's no law on their side, there's no reason for them to give you back your money. Yeah. And, and you know, in the UK and the US, you can argue the lemon law. And that's why it's, it's so, so effective. So the same thing happened in Singapore. It became effective. People started complaining. They started getting their money back if the car was really found to be defective. And this is the word lemon, you know? Mm. So now, there is something coming from the government officially saying that they are looking into lemon law finally so this is really good news because why it's about time okay it's about time that that bad cars were actually taken back by the manufacturer and sent back to their country of origin to be taken apart and found what was wrong with it you know what i mean Yeah. And then it also happens with local assembly cars. Now, I'm not talking I'm not talking about bad local assembly. Sometimes during local assembly, one bolt they might forget or one washer or one plastic bit or what. I'm I'm just, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not being very precise about it, but it does happen, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens for uh, you know, computers, phones, TVs, any product, even a fan or something, right? 
mm-hmm. can happen because why it's in a production line the guy who's producing it he might have a really bad day or he might have been distracted mm. and he missed out one little bit and that little bit can cause that whole product whether it's a fan or tv or whatever to be not so efficient so it also happens with vehicles and vehicles have got so many parts whether they're electric cars or, or, or normal combustion engine cars there's still a lot of parts even down to like you know tail light assembly headlamp assembly sometimes when it's not put in right the thing starts leaking you know mm. then the rear hatch or the rear boot if it's not aligned properly it starts leaking water goes into the boot that's all part of lemon law but again until recently nothing can be happened so we are hoping that with this recent announcement things will move and lemon law will be in in effect in malaysia which means consumers get a better deal and it's very important because we pay so much for cars my question then for you right. daniel hmm. how confident are you that this is going to come like you want it to i think it's going to come exactly like how i want it to which is like how they have it in singapore and everywhere else in the world hmm. there will be limitations of what you can claim of course okay you must mm-hmm. you must prove that this vehicle is actually faulty or if if it's like a recall and they mm-hmm. and they change the part for you fine if even if there's 50 recalls in say 2 years as long as the company changes the part it's fine but if if it's just one car that keeps giving problems and it's not working right and every time you send it back you know it's the only car sitting in the workshop trying to get figure out then of course that's a that's a lemon and you need a replacement car or you need your money back mhm You know? All right. So I think okay. it'll happen, yeah. and I and I really hope it'll happen. Interesting. Then I, I I'm 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 not holding my breath though. I'll be honest. Hmm. Oh, you don't think it'll happen? Uh, not anytime soon. I think I will agree with that because it'll take some time because they got to draw it up very carefully. Mm. Because mm. you're also going to have a lot of car companies not too happy because why? That's you what also, I mean. Yeah. 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 Because you also open a can of worms for a lot of people who are just being silly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they'll try and use this lemon law just to do silly things. You know, I want my money back. I don't care. I just don't like the car. You know, they kind mm, of. Yeah. But we oh. need it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in uh, this very evening. Do join us, of course, at same time, same place next week here on Cruise Control. Um, if you missed any part of the show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend the BFM app. That's available at Apple App Store or Google Play. And head over to Daniel's website if you feel like it, dsf.my. I've been Rich Bradbury. On behalf of Daniel and Ali, this has been Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.